Morena, uh, kia ora koutou, good morning. Great that you can uh, tune in, uh, listen in, whatever it is for you. We are working through the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, a wonderful book of the Bible. And it's about uh, 400 years before the time of Jesus. The people had been brought back from exile. Um, they have been taken by the Babylonians and the Syrians. And uh, they were back. They've been back roughly a hundred, a hundred years. And uh, you think it'd be marvelous, uh, and it was. Um, but there were there were issues, there were problems. As uh, um, subsequent generations uh, were not that happy. And so we're going to look at that today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your uh, word today. Pray as we open it up, you would speak to us through it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So it's from the book of Malachi today, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, right through to the end, verse 14, and then down as well to chapter 2, um, verse 7 and 8. So chapter 2 as well, verse 7 and 8. Uh, last week we looked at the start of Malachi, chapter 1. And it was all to do about uh, perception, about vision, the way the people were seeing things. And um, they, they were saying that God didn't love them, that God had not loved them. Problem was their eyes, their eyesight. They weren't seeing very well. They weren't seeing the love of God because they weren't uh, looking in the right places. They were kind of just looking at a very small circle around them. They were caught in the moment. And they weren't seeing uh, way back in their past of what God had done. They had um, really bad uh, rear vision and uh, also their peripheral vision. They, they weren't seeing how circumstances, that through the circumstances, God was working together for their good. Uh, so eyes. But today is uh, about some more body parts, uh, about hearts. And lips, hearts and lips, and not only the people's hearts, but also the heart of God. I'm going to read it. One moment. Malachi chapter 1 verses 6 to 14. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them. Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased? With you, would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? When you offer sacrifice of crippled or diseased animals, 
Now implore God to be gracious to us. From such offerings from your hands will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offering will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled, and of its food it's contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheap, is the cheat, who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. In chapter 2, verse 7 and 8a, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. When I was at uh, Bible College in West Auckland, I did a bit of relief teaching to help pay the bills. And there was a, a school, primary school, right across the road called Pumaria uh, Primary School. And they had a great principal, probably the best principal I ever worked under. In fact, he was a statutory manager, which means when a school has failed and is broken, the government will bring in someone from outside to try and save it, try and fix it. And so this was what had happened with Ralph. They brought him in. And the time I got there, it'd been, it really turned around. It was a, a great school, great staff and great atmosphere. And uh, But he told me some stories of the bad old days. And um, uh, prior to me getting there, that had um, some different uh, staff members. And uh, one of the, they were struggling. Um, there was a teacher shortage at that time in the 1990s. And so uh, particularly Auckland schools were really struggling to get teachers. They had big gaps, lots of gaps, and they were bringing in teachers from all around the world to try and fill those gaps. And um, different institutions started trying to train um, people to be teachers. So there were gaps. Pumaria had gaps in their staff. And Ralph got uh, a couple of new graduates from this polytech, and they were below average. One day he, he asked one of them, it was Monday morning, um, just in the staffing part of school, and he says, I want, I want to see your planning. And this graduate, new teacher, uh, said, oh, you know what, actually to tell you the truth, I've had a really hard weekend. Can I have an extension? And Ralph said, no, you can't. This is not an assignment. This is real. You're on. These kids need you to be ready. This is real. 
And uh, this is sort of what Malachi is saying to the priests and the people. You, this is real. You need to bring your A game. Don't bring your S game. Don't bring your skanky animals to God, to the altar of God, and say that this is an acceptable uh, sacrifice. You can't say it's sweet as when it's not, it's not good. It's not good. And the people were bringing their, their scoty, skanky animals and, and using them as their sacrifice before God. They knew from the Old Testament, from Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they were to bring their bests. 1 verse 8, they knew how to show respect and honor. They could do it to other people, to their governor. They could do it. And uh, it was selective. They were choosing to honor some and not others. And they were choosing not to honor God. And honor is huge outside of Western circles. Uh, I had a, an uncle who's passed away now, Uncle Ross. He was the mayor of Hamilton. And they had a sister-city relationship with a Japanese city. And one time they were taking a delegation over and they'd been told, you, uh, gift giving is really important when you meet, meet people. Uh, this is what happens, you, you need to um, give a gift. It needs to be a, a good gift. You've thought about it, you've wrapped it nicely and, and it's a really important part of the culture. Uh, one of the delegates, one of the Kiwis, had forgotten this and they remembered on the plane and so what they did is they got uh, one of the little bottles of, of uh, free alcohol they gave, they give you, and uh, wrapped it in a tissue. And in the gift-giving ceremony, they bowed down and presented that. And I remember my Uncle Ross saying, and they were on the first plane back to New Zealand. Uh, it wasn't acceptable. It wasn't good. It was dishonor. It was disrespect. And to the priests... Uh, they were saying half pie was car pie, but it wasn't. It was like the priest Eli, when the young prophet Samuel was just a little boy, and Eli had uh, two wicked sons uh, in the temple area there. And they were treating the altar with disrespect. Uh, they were taking hold of the food, of the meat, and they were sleeping um, with the woman helpers at the tent of meeting. And Eli did nothing. Eli did nothing. He allowed it. <laughs> and uh, to him, his relationship with his sons was more important than showing honor to God. He made, a, made an idol out of that relationship with his family. And in the, in the midst of that, showing dishonor to God. What I want to do now is I want to just, um, I want to give some examples of things that have really spoken to me, really encouraged me of people's honor of God uh, over the years. I think I've got about six here and uh, hopefully it will encourage you too. So um, first one is, there's one close to home, there's a couple in church and they, uh, they've been married many years and they said um, they decided early in their marriage that they would always tithe to God via the church. And um, even when in the hard times they did that, and even in the, in the good times, and sometimes that can be harder, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bigger number. Uh, they decided they would continue to tithe 
to God via the church and um, and they've done that and it's been a huge blessing to the church and huge blessing to them by the way as well uh, second example um, some of you will remember Matt and Christelle Nicholas and one of the things uh, great things about them is that when they travel when they're on holiday or uh, visiting uh, family uh, they would try and travel back on the Saturday so that they could be in church and worship on Sunday in the morning <laughs> and they would be there and they'd worship and they'd serve and they'd try and meet new people and bring them home for lunch. Uh, they dedicated themselves to being there, traveling back on Saturday and being there on Sunday morning. Such a huge blessing. Uh, a third one, there was a young uh, US youth worker when Charlene and I were youth workers with YFC. And he would travel from one end of the city of Wellington to the other, from the Hutt Valley right over to Tawa, every Saturday morning for many months to do uh, discipleship with one person. He was so dedicated. Uh, another example, in 1990, I think it was, I went to the Cook Islands with a teacher's college group. There were about 50 of us. And on Sunday morning, I wanted to go to church. Uh, I think I was the only one. But uh, I went, and it was great. It was amazing. And I remember, out of probably about 200 people, I don't think anyone was late. <laughs> and I don't think anyone was ugly. They were all looking so good. And it, it, it spoke to me that these people considered this as important. <laughs> uh, another example, one of our... Elders in our home church in Porirua, uh, Gabe was his name, he's uh, passed away now. He's a laborer all his life, he was a scaffolder at the time of his death. And for 10 years, our church, uh, before we owned the building, we rented. We uh, rented school halls, different school halls, community buildings, whatever we could. And uh, so always involved uh, cleaning up before church. And so they'd be, they'd be sweeping, mopping, putting out chairs, uh, different things and uh, of, of everyone I'd say Gabe was a person who did that the most <laughs> and joyfully full of joy and last example uh, I remember as a as a teenager and there was this rugby tour of United Nations uh, England Wales Scotland and those it was a big tour and a terrible time to watch live rugby would be about 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. in the morning. And so uh, it was a hard one. You know, you get up, you uh, set the alarm, do you, uh, or do you stay up? Um, anyway, the effect <laughs> it was having on church as this pastor and assistant pastor realized it was having a really uh, dampening effect on the church service on Sunday morning because everyone was so tired. And so what they decided to do is that they would not watch it live. They would just wait until the afternoon and they would watch a replay. Uh, and, and in common to all these stories, all these true stories, there's a common thing, is that sacrifice to God involves sacrifice. Okay? <laughs> it's not rocket science, but sacrifice involves sacrifice. Uh, it's amazing how common the desire to worship God without sacrifices. Uh, convenient, 
sacrifice, costless sacrifice. And that actually is an oxymoron. Oxymoron is where two words that it sort of contradict each other, like uh, deafening silence, like organized chaos, or uh, seriously funny. And uh, convenient sacrifice is like, it's, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't actually make sense. It's not a real thing. If you just bring what's left to God, that's, that's not sacrifice. That's just tidying up. King David. King David is highly esteemed in the Bible. He's a prototype for the Messiah. And you wonder why. Because morally, he's not. Uh, for his parenting skills, he's not. For his um, marriage skills, not. Uh, sometimes his leadership, not. But what it was, was his heart of worship. He always, it seemed, desire to worship God. That was his heart. At the end of the book of Samuel 24, there's a story of David. And he'd done something wrong, again, and he was repentant. And he wanted to sacrifice to God as a, as a testimony of his repentance. And so David goes to a, an owner of a piece of land. Uh, the na man's name was Orona. And David says, I want to buy this hunk of land so I can set up an altar to sacrifice to God. Orona says, uh, nah, you don't need to do that. You can just take it. It's yours. No charge. It's yours. And David says, no. I'm going to pay. And David says, I will not sacrifice to God that which has cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice to God that which has cost me nothing. I'm going to pay. I will not sacrifice to God that which has cost me nothing. If you can't actually have costless sacrifice. It doesn't work. That's not real. That's not a real thing. And uh, at Wanu Beach Vineyard Church, I just want to tell you, we are not going to have um, Sunday midday church so that people are able to go to the beach with the families and then if no one's sunburned or tired or hungry, uh, there's, there's a midday service. No, we, we will have costly sacrifice of worship to God. It will be. It will be that. I will not sacrifice to God that which has cost me nothing. We encourage you to bring your best. So that was that was the issue, the the people's heart towards God. But there's a second thing about a heart here. It's actually about God's heart, God's heart, in, in, in a direction. Let's look at that. The, uh, God's heart, God's heart. In fact, uh, verse eleven and verse fourteen show this. And it shows something interesting, that each time it talks about God's name being great, something follows it just a few words later. Verse 11 and verse 14. Verse 11 says this, My name will be great among the nations. And then it repeats it, My name will be great among the nations. Verse 14, I'm a great king, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God's heart is for the nations. And when his chosen ones indicate that worship of God is lightweight, is unimportant, is an optional extra, that really undermines God's mission to the nations. You know, why should the nations consider God and the worship of God important 
is if the chosen ones don't consider it important. My name will be great among the nations. It's like they're saying, the reason the unbelievers don't believe is they don't believe that the believers believe. My name will be great among the nations. Worship and mission are totally intertwined, as Pastor John Piper puts it. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Heart, our heart for God and God's heart for the nations. Now lips, Malachi 2, chapter uh, Chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, because he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way, and your instruction has caused many to stumble. You know, a priest's job is not really to be innovative, not to bring something new and novel and exciting. It's not to be imitative either. Not trying to, to be some sort of echo of the world's philosophies. A priest is not to be a manufacturer. He's to be a messenger. <clears throat> to bring something, not so much to create something. To make people firm, not wobbly, not stumble. It says we are there to preserve knowledge. More of a, a, a curator. And a courier to deliver and display something very old and very precious. Like a curator of an art museum of all these masterpieces. To set up, to set it up, have the lighting and allow people to come and view the masterpiece. And it's easy to apply this to those we consider as our spiritual leaders. But a key New Testament thrust is this, of the priesthood of the believers. 1 Peter 2 verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone, uh, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Remember, Malachi is about the chosen. They are the chosen, and they've forgotten their chosenness. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. In the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are priests, and as it is written, Romans 10, verse 14 and 15, Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And this is us as messengers, as the priesthood, the priesthood of believers, uh, we are messengers, we're curators, we bring the good news, we display it of Jesus Christ. This is our message, uh, this is what we are preserving. Lord bless you in that, amen.